So, in the age in which we live, I wonder what you make of a quotation like this from a scientist in Oxford who says, Humanity should accept that science has eliminated the justification of believing in cosmic purpose. Any survival of purpose is merely sentiment. Science and religion cannot be reconciled. Surely we've gone beyond the age of myths and fairy tales. We are are a sophisticated human race. And so what place is there other than sentimentality for faith these days? That is surely something for for Christians. If we don't believe in Santa Claus, surely we should stop believing in God. What, What evidence is there for you to say that God exists? Why talk about this being a creation? It's just a coming together of of circumstances, of stuff. We as a human race can live without God, can't we? What would your response to that quotation be? Some people would say, you see, that science has emerged from the chrysalis of religion and now can do without it very well. What do you think? How do you respond to that? Well, I'm delighted over the next three weeks to be chatting with a few people who have a bit more insight into that than I have. And we just wanted to, through our conversation, to look at some of the issues that I think have been around in the public press for quite a wee while, and sometimes with the impression that some of the more militant atheists have stolen science and left us as Christians uncertain about what we can be sure of, or where we stand, or how we view things. And so these next few weeks are hopefully a conversation about our faith in our scientific age, in an age which says, give me the proof of that. I don't believe you, that's just your view. As Christians, what do we stand on? How do we see the world? And I'm delighted that for this week, I'm going to ask Steve Houston to come and join me, um, and we'll have a little chat. Steve's a mathematician, he is also a cosmologist. We don't have a seat, Steve, that would be great, and I'll, I'll give you this. To, um, to ask some questions about. Steve, do you want to say something about your interest, particular interest in science? Um, okay, well, when I was quite youngish, sort of seven or eight, I got very interested in the nature of space and time and the things which were in the space and the time, and that probably sounds very cryptic. But I became interested in this when I was quite young, and I've sort of thought about it ever since. So I'm interested in the big picture of sort of why the universe is here and why it's in the form that it is. Is that a cosmologist? I mean, is that what you are, a cosmologist? Um, I guess so, practically speaking. Okay, looking at the big stuff, the origins. So. I mean, I suggest I was one. I'm now an educationalist. I work for a maths education project. But once a cosmologist, always a cosmologist, I think. We're looking over these three weeks. Today we're looking at beginnings. Next week we're looking at evidence and something of the history of relationship between science and faith. And the third week we're looking at maybe the future. Um, so maybe to do with beginnings then, if you're a cosmologist, Steve, what do you make of this talk of a big bang? Um, what's your understanding of that for us as Christians? Um, well, the big bang which happened, I should say, is, is like a singular moment of creation in, in a sense. And as Christians, I don't see there's any problem with reconciling this with the view of of the world. And one thing which struck me, because I came to faith only relatively recently, was the parallels in Genesis 1 with how I viewed the creation of the, of the world. I mean, you have to have the days to be slightly longer, sort of billions of years, but, you know, there was a moment of creation where the heavens and earth, space and time were made with all the stuff in it. And gradually over time, 
things calmed down a bit and light appeared and then matter appeared and then the world appeared and the water appeared on the world and then things started to grow in the water and then the plants and then the animals. And the parallel to the creation story is roughly correct. And so I find that a very fascinating sort of link with the Bible. But of course, it's not compatible with a very young earth, with the Big Bang. Okay. Uh, the, the stuff you speak of, I mean, what, what is the stuff the earth was made of? What would scientists say to that? Well, everything's made, if you chop things in half enough, you'll eventually get to some things called elements, and there are 103-ish different elements which things are made of. But that's too crude for someone like myself, because if you chop the elements up, you get things like protons and neutrons. And then if you chop those up, you get things like quarks. And really, the things that I'm interested in are how these basic Lego blocks all built together to make human life, which is very interesting. And uh, one thing that I think many people like Dawkins overlook is the beauty in this structure because it's not ad hoc or random it's, it's the most incredible, if you understand it enough it's the most incredibly beautiful structure and the way the universe works in this way with this, these simple beautiful rules is, is an act of supreme beautiful creation in my opinion and uh, to, to sort of view the world as this sort of cold scientific approach I think is to miss the whole beauty of how the universe is created Einstein once said didn't he that um, the most um, incomprehensible thing about the universe is its comprehensibility. Yeah, you see, I, I'm quite interested in the fact that we as human beings have evolved the capacity to analyse the, the, the things that we're made of. And this, to some sense, gives me some the idea of free will, but also how, how have human beings, as sentient beings, developed the capacity to analyse the structure which gave rise to themselves? And questions like this, I think, are very spiritual. And I think the answer is because, you know, we're, we're, we've got the spirit of God within us. That would seem to be the natural cause for how we can, how we can ask questions of ourselves and the universe in such large-scale ways and also such small-scale ways as well at the same time. What then, Steve, what place for evolution? Um, some evolutionists would say because evolution there's no need for this creator. How, how, how do they arrive at that? And what do you respond? Well, again, it's a sort of a naivish argument because evolution proceeds quite happily on its own. So you could imagine evolution working without creator. But similarly, you can imagine evolution working with a creator. And uh, if I was going to be a creator, evolution would be a, a, such an elegant way to go about doing things. So evolution isn't this, this ad hoc, random process people might think it is. It's a, it's a very beautiful way to calmly develop the complexity that's needed to create human beings. Um, and there is a difference between the human being and other animals that have evolved. And I guess I have this inkling that the, the, the spirit of God, if you like, that was put on us, that made in his image, was giving humans the, the extra insights to, to have this, to be human, as opposed mm. to just matter or animals. Mm. But that's speculation on my part. What then, though, about what place for chance? I mean, there are Christians, I'm never that happy when people say, oh, good luck then, but um, I always veer away the Christian sort of feeling like, like that. I feel that we've got a worldview that God has evolved and has purpose. And yet there's things that God does that I don't understand. But can we call each chance? You know, what place for the word chance in our language, in our worldview, and the Christians? Well, one, one thing about Christianity which a hard time is my miss is if you don't study the Bible to choose what you should do, you feel when things go away, you feel you're moved by the Spirit, so to speak. And if we're communicated to by God, then we can choose to hear what he's saying, or not. And the way he communicates to us appears to be very subtle. So when a 
much on the right track, it feels that we're in tune with God's heart, I can see, when it is that we're not. So, in some sense, there's a, a way that we can communicate our prayer with God and listen to the message sent. And because it's free will, there are no chance at all, we can choose to do anything. Um, but in terms of the universe, these quartz and things I talked about are fundamentally chance based objects. Uh, and this is one thing scientists say well, it's all random, therefore there can't be design involved with it. But I would disagree with this because um, underneath the covers of this randomness, anything can actually happen at all that's consistent with physics. So, for example, a miracle is simply the atoms doing things that wouldn't normally occur. It's not against the law of nature, which is one thing that scientists who don't really know anything very well would say. And so the whole structure has this credibility for God, if you like, to, to tamper as and when required with any aspect of it. So in some sense, there's no fundamental conflict between God being able to design the earth as he chooses, using the male form of God, of course, uh, and science, which just happens to evolve happily on its own when he's not paying attention. But the very thing is there's no need to make everything happen on its own. Things are set in motion, and then they follow their natural rules and laws until something happens to change that motion. Um, so I don't see the need for God to intervene to make anything happen on Mars. But the way I choose it in my life, I see more of a separate thing of free will. I listen to what my heart's telling me. You know, the take my free in my heart and listen to, to how they're acting to me in my life, which feels very different to, to the scientific view of religion. Um, as a science-based person, I can also 
having passed into the waiting world. And I find great pleasure in analysing So I, you know, I enjoy thinking about that in ways that people might overlook. And so I can see, when I look at the stars in the sky, I, I see them as both a scientist and then and both a theological. So it enriches my viewpoint. Fantastic. And have you got any questions for, for, for Steve, our, our resident Fine, I don't see any problem with other intelligent 
optimizing this thing. Um, and it's just so when I because I see the creation of crop drift and then then the other industrial life will be crop driven as well. The question is whether it has the same human heart is a different matter. Because I think it's obviously very different from a tiger or something like that, which is in animals there is a difference between human it's not like a continuum between clever animals and human beings, but there's a definite difference in terms of our morality and understanding of life and whether these higher values present in life found elsewhere. Um, I don't know. But I wouldn't see any conflict. There'd be a conflict with like, the sort of traditional Renaissance views of the world in which the world is essentially the entire universe and humanity is very special. But I don't see in my reading of the Bible that that's in any way implied to be the case. Probably um, largely to cope with having multiple creations if, if necessary. But it wouldn't surprise me if there were no other intelligent life elsewhere. Because I do feel human last, well, I think like privilege, which is uh, like the privilege on a purpose as Can I ask you to show the presentation for a speech? I don't think that's the sort of thing you can put me on the application.